Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover. This is the first interview for 2021. I'm your boy, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mace. I want to wish everybody a happy new year and just know that we got more interviews coming on Beyond the Album Cover. Right now with me, I have a man who is no stranger to hip hop. He was put into the game by PMD. Yes, that PMD from EPMD. Been putting in work ever since, and we're going to talk about the projects that he's got going on. My man, Nocturnal, Nocturnal. Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, bro. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, I definitely appreciate you. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Happy New Year, and you know, we're still in a pandemic, so let's be safe out there. Yeah, so how you been holding up since COVID? Because I know that kind of put a damper on things as far as doing shows and things that you'll normally be doing right about now. Uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but my family, we holding up good. You know, I lost my grandmother earlier, maybe in uh, April. I lost my grandmother. I lost some friends, some people that's close to me, but I also been blessed. So it's been a, a real bitter but sweet. You know, it's bittersweet, you know, far as family, whatever. But uh, I'm strong. My family is healthy. We're still keeping it safe, still quarantining, homeschooling and everything. So I'm good on that end. Yeah. And um, from Beyond Album Cover, we extend our condolences on your loss to your family and um, prayers and strength to you guys. Now, to get the interview started, how did you first fall in love with hip hop? And what was the first rhyme that you remember writing that made you say, man, I want to get into the rap game? Uh, my first rhyme um, was not a rap. It wasn't a written rap. It was a freestyle, like off the head. We was writing, uh, I was doing freestyles, like just freestyling off the dome. No written, no nothing. I didn't even know how to write bars and none, none of that. I was just taking the instrumentals, uh, uh, being being inspired by some of the greats, you know, like uh, Big Daddy Kane, LL Cool J, those are my two top guys from the 80s era that I look up to, that I follow iconically, and I still follow today. They still drop music today. And those guys has inspired me. That whole late 80s wave inspired me to do music on a professional level. Um far as uh, meeting up with PMD and stuff like that, that didn't come to after I got out of high school and pursuing music after I got out of high school. Um, I graduated in 90, so I think I started pursuing music at about 90, 91, 92, because I didn't, I really was tired of school. I went to a technical school for electric, electrical uh engineering, electrical construction, residential wiring and all of that. And when I graduated, I was kind of like sick of it. So I was like in limbo. So I used to write a lot. We used to follow the music, you know, I like can't play, you know what I mean? It, I, I was just following the music. And to me, the music inspired me to start writing. Now my brother, my younger brother, who actually makes a lot of the production, my production, at least 80% of the production, sometimes 50% of the production. Um, my younger brother was uh, was uh, aimed to be an artist. So he was actually told me how to write bars, like write down my music. He was like, yo, knock you freestyling. 
your, your freestyles is lit. You got to start writing this stuff down. And that's what people start saying. You got to start writing this down. I was like, write down. He was like, yo, yo you got bars. Write them down. So my, my younger brother showed me how to write bars. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the difference as far as your freestyling, everything's all off the cuff, and then writing the 16 where you got to know, okay, this stops here and be able to ride that pocket? Okay. Uh, it's more or less like this. A freestyle is anything that comes to your head and you just say it as a rhyming word. After a while, you train your freestyle. The more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. So your thoughts is uh, milliseconds. You know, you're thinking of stuff on on with the beat. So it's very hard, you know, for, for people to grasp this because a lot of people uh, in the industry... Once I went there, a lot of cats couldn't freestyle. They knew how to write their rhymes, but a lot of people couldn't freestyle. You know, freestyling is just thoughts that just sporadically pop up in your head, and you could train your thoughts where you could uh, you could carry it over to a uh, to a, a specific you know story. Specific, you know, you could designate your freestyle to a, a specific. Uh, 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 topic, and that's when you're good at it, you know what I mean, but when you're first starting, you know, Bob read from slide, Bob, you know, it's just the wording, but once you start writing and crafting your bars, it you're sitting down, you're finding a rhyming word, is a science, and then you write the first line, and the first line has to rhyme with the second line, and it has to make sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's a difference. Yeah, as a, as a, it's a difference. You have to make yeah, it has to make sense. But right now, it's like the music is everywhere, so it's a it's a freedom of expression. Everybody has a different type of writing style. Uh, I use syllable uh, syllables for rapping. Some using pop pop using when you first start off, you're using words, but when you as you get better, you're using like three syllables, four syllables, five syllable words. It's like pandemic. You see, I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I made a difference in the pandemic. My man sentence. You see what I'm saying? It's like pandemic is a syllable. Pandemic. So you say my man made a difference. You see what I'm saying? You difference, and then you put it. You could put a slang word there, and it'll kind of like rhyme. Men made a difference. It sounded like pan pandemic, pandemic men sentence damn difference. What's the damn difference in this pandemic? Man, listen. You see that? See how that? See how that freestyle is like? You can. Um, it gives you a good improv if you're writing a song too. It's good for improv if you're writing a song. You can freestyle. You can kind of get over the bars over the edge because some people get writer's blocked and they don't know how to freestyle so it like takes them longer to write song i think a freestyler has a little bit of edge on the guy who don't know how to freestyle mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important to pay attention to english class kids because you learn about syllables and how to combine words phrasing bend to make it all flow together now you have some people that can freestyle but can't write and you have vice versa it is a skill now before we get into pmd and everything i want to back up a little bit a couple of years prior to uh the golden era mid 80s we want to talk about we just lost recently a pioneer in hip-hop 
ecstasy. Yes, sir. Rest in peace and send out Rest in peace. to the family the and ecstasy. friends of ecstasy right here from Beyond the Album Cover. So, King, tell me about the impact of Houdini and Larry Smith in their production. Man, Houdini was a great group uh, that I always listened to. They had hits. My favorite hits was Friends and the Freaks Coming Out at Night. And uh, it was it was great music, man. And those guys influenced me because they just made good hip hop. And actually, I thought they was from like London or something earlier. And I was like, yo, these guys is dope. And they they had EPMD. They had uh, they had hits, man. And when you go back, you couldn't turn on a radio in early hip hop without listening to a Houdini record. Right. My favorite Houdini record is One Love, and they have the London connection because Thomas Dolby, yes, Thomas Dolby from She Blinded Me With Science, worked on some of their earlier materials. And when I went back and listened to, you know, Escape, Friends, Funky Beat, One Love, it had an honor. Yeah, Funky Beat. Yeah, yeah. They had good music. Like, it just was good stuff, but it was like friends how many of us like that's still rock right now like friends is a global record it's a record like that is timeless they made one love what that's timeless you know what i mean stuff like that is timeless snoop made the one cuz one you know what i mean how he bridged that he used that for the uh bridging of the uh, bloods and the crypts he used the classic and then flipped it but it was just the whole the beat and the way it was done. You know what I mean? Like One Love, you take that, kind of like with EPMD, you got a lot of that early 90s hits. Jay-Z made a lot of hits off of EPMD music. There's a lot of hits off of EPMD music. Foxy, there's a lot of, when you're using all 80s classics, because that's called a classic, Houdini dropped nothing but classics. So when you're using that, you're going to win with that formula. Right, definitely that. And then also within that same era, we lost Shabadu from uh, Breaking, and he was also a former dancer on Soul Train. So that was another huge loss that we suffered because Breaking the later see. I know him as Ozone. I, I knew him as Shabadu, but once he was Ozone and Breaking, every time I seen him was Ozone. Ozone. Yeah, de definitely that. So we're going to fast forward back to 1990. You're saying it was right around this time you were pursuing music full time. Now, was the home studio set up like a MPC or 808? You're using the bathroom no. closet as a vocal booth? How was the setup? No, we, I didn't have a studio at home. I was, uh, everything was analog. There wasn't no digital. I started recording on analog, uh, going to different studios. In uh in Newark, New Jersey, where I'm from, um, Newark and East Orange is where I'm from. I was I'm, I was born in Newark. At 11th grade, we moved to East Orange, um, in New Jersey, and after that, it's like the rap took off. I was out of school, finding my way. You know, basically, when you're out of school, you have like a little limbo. I was tired of school. You know what I mean? So I was like, want to time off, work, and do something that I wanted to do. And the music was what I wanted to do because early I had a breakdance group and then that breakdancing kind of like took a back seat and then I got into basketball and just trying to stay busy. But the hip hop really 
captured me once I knew how to make it. So I love creating it, you know, writing and the creative aspect on it. My brother bought an MP, uh, before we bought the MP, we bought the SP12, because he was a peep rock. He was like, yo, we gotta get the SP12. Once my brother got the SP12, we started having a pre-production at the crib, you know, and then it was like, everything started getting better. The music, the freestyles, the writing, and then we started going into phases of demos. Like, I collectively, me five songs then make more songs and then like what are we gonna record these so we'll take the MP, uh, sp12 to a studio pay 50 dollars, 45 dollars an hour lock in five hours or something like that off for work hard hard work money not hustle money no hustling hard work money that i punched the job punched the clock on and took my craft to another level, start recording it. And then um, at the, my first demo, it was okay. By the, by the second demo, I got a lot better within a year. And then a brother named Baquan um, heard me and he made beats. So he locked me in on a demo like, I'm going to produce this. Now, I already have made music with my brother, and he made beats for me. The, the stuff was, we was just stepping it up. I was growing. So the evolution of Nocturnal was, I had my brother first, then I had this uh, brother named Baquan and had his own production. He was a little bit more savvy with the beats than my brother was. My brother was a beginner, and I was a beginner rapper. But my brother rapped and produced. I just rapped and freestyle. As we got better, by 92, 93, I had another demo, but this demo was all Baquan's production because he wanted to, he said he had some music for me, just for me, and we started producing um, songs and everything. And um, that's the demo that got into PMD's hand. Okay. Now, was this also right around the same time when Redman and K-Solo was coming in? Uh, Red Man's from my hood, you know, we're from the same area, I literally, maybe 15 blocks down, you know what I mean, um, from the same between streets, he's from between South Orange Avenue and Central Avenue, that same block going down, Treaches, all of us is within a mile radius of a, each other, I went to school with Doordall, from those of the underground, yeah, for those of you who know, I went to school with Do It All. He's a good friend of mine. Big up the Lords of the Underground. Um, we had a good relationship. Do do. I was at the video shoots. Everything. Dude, dude's a good people. He's good people. Good brother. You know what I'm saying? And look out for that collaboration this year with Do It All for Lords of the Underground. But uh, I started there once the demo got together from um shopping a demo now i wasn't really thinking about shopping my brother was shopping his demo so uh it got into my brother's demo got to the hands of pmd but my brother had a rap partner so i guess they wasn't feeling my my brother's rap partner so my brother kind of like fell back from him like he was like nah they wasn't feeling dave so i'm gonna try to you know, and his, my brother had a manager at the time because he was doing it. He was doing it on the level 
of trying to get signed. I was just coming in, watching my little brother. I'm two years older than my brother, my younger brother. So I was watching him come in, and he was like still in high school, coming out of high school doing the music. So it really touched us because we was the ones recording the Bobito and Stretch uh, uh, freestyles and, and Max L cassettes. I had the boom box. We was recording music from the radio. It engulfed the streets and it engulfed all the all our peers. That's all we was listening to was music. Bobito and Stretch, Awesome uh, Teddy Ten, Awesome Two, and then radio. Remember back then. Hip-hop wasn't on the radio like it is now. It was only on the radio two hours from 12 to 2 at night. That's it. It wasn't all day like it is now. So you only had hip-hop for maybe two hours, and then you go down the aisle, and then you had another three hours, which is wee hours in the morning. Yep. So you had to have the tape decks ready. That was uh, Mr. Magic, later Marlon Mall, then Red Alert. Yeah, man. Red Alert. And you had those how you get your tapes and then you get your tapes and then you have two boxes you can record from uh, uh, 107.5 with Mr. Magic and then you can uh, record from um, Kiss with Red Alert. You know what I mean? And those were the two outlets. And you had the awesome two on, I think, 105, but that was that was on, uh, you had to listen out for the times. And then you had uh, Barbito was NYC, uh, like a radio, uh, college radio station. So, you had to list it out for the times, and Bobito and them didn't come on until late, like 2 to 5, I think, in the morning. Yeah, because I caught the doc about their radio show, and it was crazy how a lot of the future stars that we would know now made their earliest appearances on that show before they were signed. I was there, too. I was there before I was signed uh, twice. I was there when I was signed, and I was there before I was signed. That is so so dope. And you mentioned all of the acts that come out of Jersey, like yourself, Lords of the Underground, Naughty by Nature. But prior to them being named Naughty by Nature, they were known as the New Style, and they were signed to Sugar Hill Records. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. And before before they was New Style, you had Queen Latifah, you had uh, you had a brother named Rich Fresh. In my hood, uh, he was the first solo artist to sign to, to get a first deal, uh, 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 a single deal. And you had the Fugees around the corner from us. You know what I mean? Like, you had so much music in that, in a mile radius, you know. A lot of people, uh, I was recording out a place called DML in East Orange. And it was over DMV on Main Street. And... People who know these stars and know, like, oh, he know what he's talking about. Because people who wasn't doing music, then it wasn't really, you didn't have a lot of house studios. You didn't have a lot of setups. You didn't have everybody. Everybody didn't have an MP. Everybody didn't have keyboards and stuff like that. So the people who really did music back then was really, was passionate about it. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't really a fad to go on the studio and just chill. People was actually in love with the music and getting it done. And uh, it was a different type of setup. But uh, like I said, it was expensive too. And it was all analog. Mm -hmm. This was back in the days where you actually had to pay for studio time. And if you were signed to a label, it was coming out of that advance. Oh, uh, yeah. Or, you know, sometimes, see, the, my whole thing was, Getting signed was uh, was a big deal for a lot of people, 
but I didn't know, you know, you, you, we didn't know this whole thing of independence was coming. We didn't know, I didn't know a lot of independent artists. People was looking to get signed because people was like, oh, rap was a fad, but it really wasn't. It was, the, it was, it had evolved and people didn't know that hip hop was going to be this big. Back then, we, we the generations that saw this shit grow like a, like a super weed plant. And in the beginning, you're looking like, oh, this ain't going to be what it is because like breakdancing fizzled out, but it only fizzled out in the United States. In Japan, breakdancing is big. In Europe, breakdancing is big. It's huge. And they even got breakdancing in the Olympics right now. Yeah, that just shows in 2020. hip hop is taking over the world. So why it's not over here? Why are we not breakdancing over here? Why we don't appreciate the breakdancers? Why are we not giving... See, that's the whole thing. Because we created it and times is going so fast, we don't appreciate it. But one thing about a drop, when you drop a water, a drop of water in a pond, the waves, the beginning waves, when they drop, flow out and then span out through that circumference. So we the wave that dropped hip-hop in the East Coast, we started it, so now it waved out, it's rippled out. Now it's in Europe, Australia, people's breakdancing, they love the culture, Japan, they loving the culture. You have Chinese artists, hip-hop artists, superstar Chinese, you know what I'm saying? You have uh, uh, Arab rap, you have, every country has their own MC that spits in their own language, that's doing good. Right, and that's the crazy part. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention these acts from Jersey: Poor Righteous Teacher, Apache, oh Rangers, yeah, and DJ Mark the Forty Five King. Oh, those is pioneers, pioneers. Chino XL, they, they give you some more. Chino XL from Jersey. You had a, you had a lot of groups from Jersey. You know what I mean? That still, I still feel we don't get our just due. But that's just a feeling, you know what I mean? Um, it should be way more people from Jersey um, that's out, that should be out, like right now or the last 10 years, they should be out. It's like Jersey come up and then it's like we have Fetty Wap. In the last 20 years, how many artists from Jersey really popped? Fetty Wap is the only one. And then who else? Oh, Joe Buttons. Joe Buttons and Fetty Wap. That was it. Mm -hmm. And you pretty much answered my um, next question, and that was about, do you feel Jersey always had to have a chip on the shoulder being across the water from New York, and New York kind of looking at Jersey as kind of like little brother? Um, Yeah, but then when you got to look at it again, when you look at it under a microscope, you have the Sugar Hill game was from Jersey. That was a 15-minute record. That was one of the biggest hip-hop records of all, and those three acts was from Jersey. Now, one of the, uh, uh, the uh, things was uh, Cash from the Bronx, he said that they stole his rhyme book or whatever, or one of the artists from Sugar Hill Gang was being um, ghostwriting, ghostwriting. So Cash was like a ghostwriter for one of the artists. But, you know, like I said, you know, it's his, that's his story. He gonna, he can stick with it. You know what I mean? I'm I'm cool with that. I don't have no. If he say somebody stole his rhyme book, then that's what it is. Right. 
And this was, I want to go back a little bit to around 86, 87, because during that time, hip hop and R&B didn't meet in the middle. They were on two separate sides of the room. But when Full Force came in with their production and then later Teddy Riley, that kind of set the stage for New Jack Swing, which was the meshing of hip hop and R&B and also the group today from New Jersey. Shout out to Big Bub and the rest of the fellas. Big Bubs, you already know, like, uh, like I said, you had a lot of Jersey artists. Shaheem, you had KG was was starting to make R and B. You had R, you had a lot of R and B artists from Jersey. If you start really researching, you'll figure that Jersey was had his hands in the beginning of this whole hip hop and R and B fusion. We was there, but uh, like I said, I I don't know because I haven't researched it thoroughly. Who started what? And basically, it's just, it's a good combination. Like, I'm using that now in my music today. Uh, 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 I'm using a formula that a lot of people don't have as uh, far as crew-wise. And that's a formula of fusing the new with the old. You know what I mean? Some of the R&B rhythmic, kind of like uh, 50 Cent on a hook. You see what I'm saying? 50 Cent got those hooks. Pop Smoke got those hooks. So I kind of like incorporated that in some of my new stuff because it's a good thing when you when you fuse the music like uh, Fabulous and Jadakiss on R&B joints. You know what I mean? They have a with Monica, Fabulous with Monica. Uh, you had Jadakiss with, with another R&B artist and then the bars and what they rapping about, it's like, whoa. And that's what Puffy took it, like to fuse it. It started with Teddy Riley, and it probably started even before that, like Guy, that New Jack Swing, and then you got Full Force, uh, Anthony B, and all of them with Kit and Play, and they were starting to fuse it. So you've seen it coming up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was a good thing, you know? Uh, that's the growth of hip-hop. That's just, they saw that it wasn't a fad, that it was actually music, and when the R and B started giving us our respect, and 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 giving us our due, and and we start fusing some of the music, and it and it produced more sales. Mm-hmm. So once you produce sales, record companies is like, that's the antenna. Record companies want money. They like okay, if a record company see a sale and they fused it, they want they gonna copy it. We gotta we gotta find our R and B. See, that's that's what it is in hip hop. That's why you get a lot of copying, a lot of mimicking, because labels see another label making money off a sound that they could probably like not copy, but do something similar. Yeah, labels are very risk averse unless you're at a label where it's very artist friendly, where they let you create because it's all about that money. And I cannot let this podcast go by without mentioning two unsung heroes that don't get enough credit for their production, what they brought to the hip hop game. That's Herbie Lovebug, Azar, and Howie T. Wow. Herbie Lovebug. Wow. You went back. That's right. I mean, that was one of my favorite groups because I also danced too. I was a break dancer. I went into hip hop dancing and, you know, I had a flat top, six and seven inch flat top. I was the man and shit. Like I used to break dance and, and go do the kid play thing. Me and my homeboy, Chris, uh, I actually got an opportunity to dance for Lakim Shabazz at like a, like a school, uh, 
a school show at Essex County College. And he needed two dancers. We was up there. We we rocked the house with him. We danced on stage with La Kim. You know what I'm saying? For him. But I wasn't rapping at the time. We was just in high school. You know, I knew how to freestyle, but I was dancing. I was very much involved with the culture. Almost every aspect from graffiti to break dancing to radio to rap. And then how he, you know, like I mentioned, you know, produced a lot of Chub Rock, Full, full Force, um, some UTFO, definitely a pioneer in its own right. How Prince Paul. Prince Paul. Yes, sir. Prince Paul, De La Soul, Three Feet High Rising. No, people don't even talk about Prince Paul no more, but you got to give it up to Prince Paul. Like, you got a lot of hot producers, you know what I mean? Um, Easy Mo. Easy, Easy Mo. Mo. Yes, sir. You know what I mean? Um, even before the Biggie or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, you had a good production. You know, you had good production. Diamond D and all of them. Digging mm -hmm. in the crates crew. Mm -hmm. And that's what you had. You had cruising hip-hop. You had, uh, I think Kid Play was with, like, Salt and Pepper. I don't know the name of that crew. Fat Five Freddy, Salt and Pepper, Kid and Play. All of them was a part of a crew. And then you had BDP, D-Nice, all of them was a crew. Then you had Juice Crew, all of them was the crew. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Roxanne, Roxanne, Shantae. Yeah, you had the Juice Crew. Yeah, then you had uh, Flavor Unit was a crew with 45 Kings. And then you had, you know, Naughty, Latifa, Naughty. And then you had, uh, uh, what's the, what's the, um, Ladies First. Moni uh, Love. Son, that, the Ladies Money Love and, and the rest of them. De La Soul, that was Buddy Buddy. Then you had uh, Sonic. You had Chuck D. You, you had a variety of different music that you can gravitate to. And it wasn't gangster. Mm, all the music that I just, all the music that I said, it wasn't gangster. It was just different types of music. You had Brother J and the X-Clan. You had uh, positive music out there that was hitting. Special Ed was was one of the new guys coming in. MC Shit, like you, that music. The Golden Era is the best era. Yeah, you I know. agree. You know, although I was like a little kid during that era, I grew up with that, and I can remember watching Rap City video music box or whatever music video show at the time and just remember seeing hey you see somebody that has a video out you maybe have somebody that's even have a cameo in the video or they have a guest verse that kind of sets them up for their release and that kind of was like oh let me go to camelot and make sure that this album is on sale when this person drops. yeah yeah man it, it, it was it, it, that was the best like that golden era it, it gave me so much inspiration like I just can't like the music is part of me so it's like I have to do music because that's part of who I am you know what I mean right um the influence and the inspiration is beyond inspiration like even if I don't have even watch it no more or or if I don't get uh, inspiration today it's I have enough inspiration back then to fuel me now. Right. And I want to mention these two guys as well when we're talking about producers that I feel haven't really fully gotten their flowers like they should. And that's Kurt Mantronics and Large Professor. Oh, uh, you're right. I mean, I can't I can't disagree with that. I, I agree totally. I think those two are 
they have a lot and they have a lot. They did a lot, you know, and um, for them not to be in another place. See, that's another thing, too. Like, it's all sometimes it's politics with beats. Sometimes it's money. Like, you never know, you know what I mean, how it goes. Like, if you get, if you're, if you're a label and you want a certain sound, it's like Nas was the first person that, that grabbed all these different producers. He was like the first artist to grab this producer, this hot producer. He had top producers on his album because people wanted to work with him. Other camps had production, like in self, in-house production. Self-contained. You know what I mean? Self-contained production or in-house production. They didn't have a budget where you got to go get down. You could get this person, this person, that person, this person. And then, because like they said, uh, basically, production is, that's the, you know, that's the jaws of the production. And that's the jaws of the money. Your, your advance, not your advance, but when the label give you the money, that's for your project. First of all, you got to get the beats for your project. So who you want to work with, depending on your budget, now you're like, oh, I got a big enough budget I can work with Dr. Dre. He's going to eat up all your budget. Kid did Dr. Dre, he's going to eat it up. He's going he gonna to want too much for the beats. So you, you, you pick, you see what I'm saying? You got to pick when your budget don't get ate up and you got to get the, the best beat you know, that you can buy for your money. You get you get the best for your money. If you want four joints, like, it's good to get a joint for Lars Professor. You know what I mean? But Lars Professor price and, and Dr. Dre price is two different prices. Q-tip price and Lars Professor price is two different prices. You know, you can get a beat from scratch. That's a different price than Adolf beat or... You see what I'm saying? So you got to play with what your budget is. That's why most artists, most producers now, they want to know a budget. They want to know because they want to get paid. You know what I mean? And every they have every right to want to get their money. But like you said, large professor, I would love to do something with them. I'm actually going to uh, I'm gonna go for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to do something with a lot of, you know, but long as it's not, it makes sense for me, as long as it makes sense uh, financially for me, right. you know, because I don't want to pay out people who's not buying music like that anyway. So it's like you're going to spend this much for production and you, you're you not going to get that back in that one year, right. especially with no shows and COVID. You don't have the sh nothing is open. So this year, a lot of shit happened. And. Uh, hip hop has to evolve, even past through COVID. A lot of people drop. I was blessed to drop the project this year, but you know, going back to the production, it's all about the the production, and is it affordable? Right now, you got twenty. You could get a beat on online for twenty five dollar lease. Uh, if you want exclusive rights, some people selling beats for two fifty and up. You know what I mean? Same thing. You know, you want exclusive rights. You don't want, you run into this problem on the internet. You get a YouTube beat. You like the YouTube beat. You start writing to the YouTube beat. You want to pay for the song, but he leased it out. He got 25 leases. He leased it to six people for $25. He made his money, but six people got your beat. You 
want that exclusivity. And this reminds me of like you're going shopping for groceries or a car. You compare and contrast and you see what you can work with depending on how your budget is. Right. But at the same time, like you can hear a beat from one producer and then you have like if you got 10 songs, you can have 10 different producers on that on that on that on that catalog, on that, on that, on your catalog, on that album or on that EP. Uh, me, I, my personal thing, I like to work with one producer at a time or two. I don't like to have it scattered out because I'm looking for a sound. I'm not looking for just a beat. I'm looking for a quality sound. So when you say quality, quality over quantity, you want quality music over quantity. Uh, right now you got the trap beats. You got mad people doing beats right now. It's fully saturated. You can find anything. All you have to do is have a little patience and look on the internet. It's available to you. Uh, you could put in. You could type any type of type beat. They're like, oh, I want a Drake type beat, and you can actually type what I just said. Type Drake beat, and they'll pop up with people who have those beats. Similar to what Drake gets, similar to a Jay Dilla, similar to this person. Like my brother, he makes some hot beats. He made a beat for Heather B. You know, he made, but he still need more people to get his production, to shop his production and jump on it. More notable. It helps. One hand washes the other. If a producer that's not famous get a famous rapper to get on his beat, and that might open more doors and vice versa a producer that's famous might get a rapper that's not so famous and get on his beat and it might take him so it's a two-way street you know what i mean we both can help each other the mc needs the producer the producer needs the mc right definitely right, definitely what was your take was your on take whole regionalism within hip-hop like we had the sound in florida with luke luke records slip and slide Jay Prince down in Houston with rap a lot, nasty mess out in Seattle. Then of course, Death Row out. Started off in the tri-state. Um, my take on it is it's a it was a good thing. Now, with the LA wave, uh, I didn't like the gangster rap. I grew up, I didn't like the gangster. Maybe because I grew up on a different aspect. Because my name is Yasin Muhammadi. I grew up different. I, I, I grew up with knowledge itself. My parents was in the Nation of Islam and stuff like that. So I had a lot upstairs already and I was already on what the East Coast was on. We was trying to stop the violence and we was trying to uh, come together in the 80s to build a, a betterness for, because we knew our music, the power of influential music. So when, when Queen Latifah put out, you know, uh, Ladies First, uh, I mean, um, Movement I.T.Y., Unity, and those albums and those lyrics, that was positive. When Brother J dropped, when Public Enemy dropped, uh, Stethosonic, BDP, it was all positive music. And it was selling. It sold records, you know. So they can't say positive music didn't sell. You see what I'm saying? So now we got a flip in. So now once we went to the West Coast, we was hearing, fuck the police, shoot this, shoot that, 
gangster this, gangster that, crip this, blood that. We wasn't really tripping in the East Coast what they was doing on the West Coast, but their music was different. It was aggressive. It was what we wanted to say. That's why we a lot of people on the East Coast felt West Coast music because it's like, that's what we feel, but we wasn't on it like that. Mm-hmm. But we went, but Scarface in the Midwest was coming. Scarface had some shit. The, the, uh, the Ghetto Boys, my mom's playing tricks on melodies and stuff like that. So it was just different. Luke came with his, you know, the go-go bar music. You only used music when he was in the go-go bar or you was around half-naked women or and that was for he gave his music up for the ladies it really wasn't for men it was for like for clubs and businesses it, and he sold records it wasn't no way to do it he just came out of it finding a sound slip inside they found a sound for them for their state and right now every state has their own sound I think Jersey has their own sound but we we still struggling to, to get our place because we're stuck in between Philly and New York, and Philly got a hard wave, New York got a wave, but to me, we, we to me, I feel like we'd be left out, our artists be left out. Right. We influence, but we're being, we're being left out of, of the talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would mention that in the Bay Area, we have E-40, Too Short, J.D., so-so Jack out of Atlanta, and then out of Philly, Rough Riders, then New Orleans, Cash Money and No Limit. Right. All that was great. All that's good stuff, man. I I I can't hold. Like I listen to all music. I don't just listen to the hip hop. But you know, uh, when I'm in creative mode, I don't listen to nobody. Right. When I'm creating my own album, I don't want to hear nobody. Mm-hmm. I just want to hear me and what I sound like, and. I stopped listening to music once I started creating. When I'm in my creative aspect, I don't listen to nobody because I don't want to no interference. I don't want to be in no way. I want all my thoughts pure and so they can transcend onto song mode. You know what I mean? Right. So that leads me to my next question. When you're in the studio, you're primarily just yourself, producer, engineer. After you the instrumental first before you write, or do you write, then hear the instrumental, then go back to the test. Um, both. Sometime I hear a beat, it'll tell me right. It's all on the track. If the track is fire, and I write every day, so there's no not writing. I write every day, whether I got instrumentals on my phone or I inspire to write a verse. I wake up sometimes. I, I have something on my mind, or I could be working at when I used to work. You know, on, on the job, you get a lot of thoughts when you're moving around doing other things. You'd be like, yo, I got to sit and write. You know how Eminem was writing on those little pieces of paper and stuff like that? Yeah. And then he, that's the process. Like, I think he, everybody has their own process. And when 8 Mile came out, that little, what I saw of Eminem, and I knew Eminem personally, but when I saw that little bit, I was like, damn, that was, that's me. Because I got little pieces of paper everywhere. You'll find those little sheets with four or five bars on it. And anything. I'll write on anything to get that bar out and put it in my pocket and save it for later. You know, but you're in the studio doing, you're doing, uh, you're creating. So either you get the beat first, 
you rock over the beat, or sometimes you'll get the beat and make, you might get one vibe, right? The next day, you might get a whole new different vibe to the same beat. So you might have two songs to one beat. Mm, yeah, which is true. So how do you think rappers are able to find that balance where this is hard for the streets, but it's sweet enough for the clubs and for the radio? And you mentioned Diddy earlier, and I think that he was able to find that balance of sweet and street. I think it was more or less uh, because of what was going on in hip-hop. They wanted to go in a different direction. They, they wanted to take it out of positive mode. Hip-hop in the early uh, 80s, the late 80s and the early 90s was, was positive and it was not in a box because DOS Effects came out with a whole other style you never heard before. You know what I mean? And then you start seeing their influencement, you know, and then how many people got signed after DOS Effects, you know, if they sound a little bit like DOS Effects, the Fruit Snickers got signed, those of the Underground got signed, anybody who sound anywhere close to that sound got signed because they looked at the numbers, labels looked at the numbers that what DOS Effects did, so they wanted to do the same thing, so people was taking chances on a different sound. Mm -hmm. You know, um, DOS Effects came with a whole nother sound, you know, so did Twister. And, and and Buster, stuff people come with a whole nother, oh shit, I didn't know that can happen. Yeah, Buster killed it. You know what I mean? He came up with a whole nother energy and 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 and, and reinvented himself. You see what I'm saying? He is the reinvention king. Right. Yep. Buster Rob can reinvent himself like a king and he does his thing on that. He can reinvent himself and make a hit hits. And he stays in his lane. He's not trying to change. He's not trying to bust and do what he do. And I respect him and love him for that. He showed me mad love. Peace out. Shout out to Buster Rhymes. Shout out to Buster. And if you have not listened to that ELE 2, go listen to that. It is fire. And you mentioned 90s and positive rap. And I got to mention the impact of Brand Nubian and Tribe Called Quest. Rest in peace, fight. What? What? Brand Nubians, Grand Puma. Oh my God. Jump punks goes up and get beat down. Can nobody beat down. Yeah, that was Brand Nubians was one of my favorite groups, man. Grand Peace to Grand Pooh. Uh and Lord Jamal and Derek X, man. I, I I that was what I had that tape. I played that tape. Like like Biggie said, I let my tape rock to my tape pop. That was one of my I had that brand Nubians for a minute. I liked it. I I felt like I could be a part of that group at one point. You know what I mean? In my in my career, like because they was fresh. They was always had a swag to them, but they they played good music. They made good music. It wasn't gangster gangster, but it wasn't soft either. You know what I mean? It was on a borderline. It was underground hip hop, but it was it was it was true to itself. And those guys made good music, man. Um, Peace to the Brand Nubians, another powerful group that influenced me. JVC Force, crazy. And EPMD, crazy. You know what I mean? Hip-hop was big, man. But if you really, really loving it and you, were, and you fell in love with it, you know it still exists. It's just that it's not 
popular because we evolved, but it's room. You have room. Hip hop has grown. It so we have room for every. We have room for new and old. We just it just it, nobody's gonna fuse it because the younger generation you the younger generation want to hear their stuff, and I'm an older generation. I want to hear my stuff. So it's room. You don't hear R and B on the radio like that no more. You don't hear R and B no more like you used to in the early nineties. Right. What happened to all those groups? Right, definitely that because when I look at you know the R and B from that time period, the hip hop soul movement, you had you know your Jodeci's and your Johnnies. KG produced Johnnies, so to think about the merging of hip hop, R and B, and making it sound like oh this could sound like a rap, but it's an R and B. Jaheen, Jaheen, that rap on his records. Mm-hmm. Right, and now uh, shout out to Prince Marky D and Corey Rooney. Yeah, Prince Prince Marky D, you're right. Yeah, him and Corey Rooney, they're loving that residual money because, you know, Target used Real Love for their recent Christmas campaign. So big shout out to that. And then a couple of weeks ago, we found out. Nice check. Nice, nice. Keep getting them checks. Um, We just. That's a nice it. check. Yeah. Target. That's a nice check. Nice big one. Brr, stick them. Now, um, we just recently lost another legend in hip hop. MF Doom, uh, he had passed away in October, but it was just made public a couple weeks ago. And for those of you that don't know, MF Doom was originally Zell of X of the hip hop group KMD, and they had cuts like Peach Fuzz and they made the Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz. Come on, man. That's another group. People didn't really. KMD was a dope group, but you know, sorry for his loss. My condolences go out to the whole MF Doom family and his fans. Um, he was MF Doom was dope. He was he was kind of like me, like an underground artist. He used a lot of punch, but he was so underrated because people don't want to hear skills no more. You gotta have skills, but it's like popularity now. Like people only want to follow the popular guy. You know, but he was a uh, he was a solid underground. He was I would say solid underground. He was main underground. Like a, a lot of people underground follow MF Doom and knew about his talent and his skills. You know, um, he wasn't popular to the masses, but he was popular to the underground. He was one of the kings of the underground because since uh, uh, since that. Broke KMD broke up and he lost a brother. He went solo, and his solo career was just boomed, just like like doom. He just boomed, and all his stuff was dope. I like I like he he was, he was lyrical. I like lyrics, and he had it to me. I, I followed him. I listened to him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he inspired me on some of the joints, especially his concept. His concepts out of this world. And can you tell me about your thoughts on the impact that Wu-Tang has had on hip-hop? To think nine MCs all can spit and all of them were able to have individual solo deals with separate labels. And they come from Staten Island. Um, Wu-Tang, to me, was, was, a, was, was, was what the Juice Crew had. So it's like Wu-Tang followed the steps of, of Juice Crew and and um, because that was just, that was the next step, 
You know what I mean? That was the next step because I know a little bit more. I got a little bit more inside information on um, the Wu Chang and, uh, and 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 those and those brothers from Staten Island. But they kept it moving. And RZA being the lead, and Prince Paul was in here too. But people don't want to. But you know what I'm saying? It's like RZA had a vision. He made his vision work, and it worked because he saw the vision when when the Hit Squad did it. You had K Solo, Red Man, Dos Effects, and EPMD on all different labels, and they all had hits. At one point, Hit Squad had five songs on the on the Billboard in the top ten in one group, and Wu Chang just did the same thing. They just knew how, like, look, look what they did. We could do this, we could do this too. Because Hit Squad started it, but it didn't, because of the breakup and stuff like that, it didn't finish. But, you know, Wu-Tang picked up the pieces, like when the Hit Squad left off. So it started with the Hit Squad with that mad people getting signed from different labels and putting out good music in one crew. But now you have Wu-Tang come out in the late 90s and now they just blew up because that's what people was feeling anyway. Right. Definitely that. Another MC. Look at uh, Souls of Mischief on the, on the West Coast. Souls of Mischief, the Alcoholics. Like those was my groups. They wasn't gangster rappers. Mm. They was just phenomenal spitters. Mm. Hieroglyphics, Dale the Funky Homo Hieroglyphics, yeah. Festo, all of them, but they also put out Tajay. They would start putting out solo albums, but they were still a group. But they all had solo potential. You mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? Same thing with the Alcoholics. You know, it was a group, but you could always branch off. Mm -hmm. Definitely, that and one MC. Oh, like Eric Sherman branched off from EPMD, started Def Squad. He did the. You could branch off, mm -hmm. you know, and he started doing like. R&B production and doing things. You could do that. It's no, it's no wrong or right way to do things. Right. There's definitely more than one way to skin a cat. And you mentioned Eminem earlier. I want to talk about the D, the 313, and some of the spitters that came out of there. You know, Eminem, Voice the 5'9", Slum Village, Rest in Peace, Jay Dilla, and Big Sean. Tell me about your thoughts yeah. about the MC spitters from Detroit. Uh, I, I like all uh, Detroit spitters. You know what I mean? Uh, actually, they kind of favor New Jersey spitters. The only ones that's out there that favor New Jersey spitters is the Detroit spitters. Because if you look at the outsiders and you look at D12, what's the difference between the outsiders and the D12 as far as lyricism and what they were saying? It was basically sounding the same. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with the outsiders from Newark, uh, they never really blew, and that was they actually to me. They had a lot to do with Eminem and Eminem's evolving and. In the lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Pace One would be co-captain. Z was captain. Pace One was co-captain, and Rodiga was the first lady from the Outsiders. 
but then you had others. You had DU, you had Axe, you had Sass, you had uh, you got Piff James. You got a lot of outsiders. You had As Is that's still kicking up right now. That's my guy, you know. But then you have uh, you go back to Detroit. You had good spitters from that area, that Chicago Detroit area. You had uh, Kanye. You had Common. Those was those like Common was 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 the shit to me. Common sense with all that positive music. And then I used to be a lot. Man, Common had me, hands down. I was a fan of Common Sense. And I was like, damn, he sound like me. He sound like, that's what I would like to spit. But mine was a little, because my voice is different. But mine was a little rough. But he, Common, Common had me. I'm a fan of Common Sense. Right. He also had Do or Die or Crucial Conflict come out of Chicago and then DeBrat as well. That's right. I'm telling you, Chicago had the Chicago had a nice turn up team. Like everybody, I'm looking at everybody's state turn up. You know what I mean? And Chicago got it. You know, um, they have they have hidden messages. They're intelligent. It's kind of like if you really look at it closely. Look at all where, not to take off topic, but if you look at where all the riots in America happened, all the all the uh, pro-black people are galvanized, L.A., Chicago, Newark, New York. Mm-hmm. Those uh, places all had riots and uh, uh, personal tribulations with with just the uprising and upliftment of our people. Anywhere you have that, you're gonna have hip hop in a in an abundance and a voice. You know, you had LA had the riots, Chicago had the riot. I'm talking about in the 67s. Newark had the riots in the 64, 67. Chicago had riots and LA had riots. New York didn't have riots, but New York was basically New Jersey tri-state. But when you have that, you have an abundance of positive music come out of the air. You have abundance of intellectual street intellects that they still do the street stuff, but they wasn't totally dummies. They wasn't just rapping about. They was trying to uplift, trying to rise out of the out of the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And relay their message and get their message across and influence others. Like Common Sense, Kanye West first album, second album. If you listen to the album, you know he's not, he's a college cat and he's intelligent and he has a little street wit to him. So it's not just all street, street, street. Because I don't have a criminal record. I was never locked up. I was never that. But, you know, right. some of the hip hop now has to, the, the message has changed and it's like, oh, we only respect gangsters and, and, and blood and crip stuff and all that stuff is saturated in the music right now. So it has to go back to a, 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 the rare form, not the norm. The norm is most artists is a drug dealers and all they do is talk about drugs and rapping about bricks and shit they don't even have or shit that they did, but not on that level because you're allowed to exaggerate in your music Right, so kind of be like CB4. Yeah, basically, basically, that's what. See, you don't make movies. Movies and hip hop is it, it, it goes hand in hand. You know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Bloods and Crips came through music. 
a lot of that uh a lot of the gang stuff came through music you know and and, and entertainment period because you gotta realize music is entertainment music and movies and acting is entertainment so if you put it in entertainment do we as uh fans and the listeners do we influence do we get that influence where we becoming gang members because we listen to some gang members music yeah, because crazy to think how, you know, when Boys in the Hood and Menace came out, that Crips, Bloods, and prior to those two movies, Colors, that kind of started the expansion of Crips and Bloods from outside of L.A. and Southern California and everywhere else. But like you said, it's all about what you choose to take in, what you choose to digest. And you had that counteraction with like Eric B. and Rakim and your Black Sheeps, De La Souls, X-Clans, Tribe brand new being where you were able to get that knowledge knowledge yourself which was one of the major philosophies of five percent nation and knowing yourself as opposed to hearing what's negative and what's coming out there so you had to pick and choose before the label say hey we're only going to push this because this is what's selling this is what's making right but but when you look at the numbers when you put if you put millions of dollars behind a negative anything negative you're trying to influence the world to be negative. Right. Because you're marketing a negative, you know, if I'm, it's the same like gun companies. If I'm marketing guns to Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's he's not really killing people, but every movie you see him, he's shooting up the place right. and, and they're making guns for him. And the minute gun, the first time I ever seen a minute gun was on The Predator with Jesse the Body was on a minute gun. I was like, what kind of gun is that? Right. So you're marketing tools and weapons the same thing you would do alcohol beverages and Ciroc and St. Oz and all of that they're using us to defeat us they, you get what I'm saying like yeah. they're using us against us they're using our creativity uh, homing in on the negative aspect of it and putting mad money behind the negative aspect of it opposed to a positive spin so if I got if I got a group like NWA and I got a group like uh, BDP, East Coast and West Coast, Jive is not going to give Karis One the money that uh, they gave NWA. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They gave NWA a lot of money and it influenced, but at the same time they opened up jails. Mm -hmm. So it was counterproductive. It was counterproductive. Kind of they used NWA to irritate and agitate black people to get out of pocket so they can lock them up. Right. And I think about Tupac because Tupac, he was speaking real truth, but he had like that street sense about him too, to where people like, okay, he hard, but he's, but he's spitting truth. Yeah. I mean, Tupac was, he never said he was a blood. He never said he was a crip. He said he was thug life. So, in their eyes, that's what they called him. He just reversed it. You never said, Pox never said he was a blood. And he never said he was a crip. I never got to meet him, but I know a lot of people, like I met Fatal. I know I know the outlaws. I know them personally. Like another group, uh, Pac loved Jersey talent. He loved it. Biggie loved Jersey talent. He, he, he was influenced by Redman and Naughty. Uh, Eminem said his favorite artist was Redman and Tretch. So all the artists 
that's looking that that everybody look up to. They all saying that Jersey artist is the best artist. Mm -hmm. So why is Jersey? So why Jersey don't have a main artist out? If everybody else is looking at Jersey, and if 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 Eminem saying, and everybody say he's the best, but he is say his favorite artist is Red Man and Tretch. That's our area, that's our style of hip hop. We the ones that we was the metaphor kings and blah blah blah, you know, in the music. But edit, but the way we did it, we did it differently. Trench flow, his 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 style, Red Man style. You know, look at Chino right now. Look at his lyrical ability. So, uh, when you look at a lot of other states and they start saying who. You ask artists, well, who, what state has the, what state is the most inf influential in hip hop? People are like, oh, New York, because of Nas and Jay Z, not because of uh, Karis One and LL Cool J, or Karis One or LL Cool J, Karis One, Rakim, Rakim and Karis One. You see, they, Rakim never cursed in his music. All them albums, Rakim never cursed in his music. Not even a curse. If you go back and listen to it, you won't hear a curse. It's all wording. It, you won't hear. You'll hear slang, but you won't hear him curse. He never used curse words. And for me, that's a skill where you can be able to spit and not curse. Kind of no Method Man said recently in an interview that he hasn't cursed in a rap in years. Like somebody had posed a challenge to him. Can you write a clean rap instead of it be hard? And he put to it and he hasn't cursed in a rap since. A, a good lyricist don't have to curse in, in rap. He can use the, he can use the slang terminology because slang evolves as well. We're not saying fresh no more. Fresh is old old slang word from the East Coast. But somewhere in some neighborhood in some hood somewhere in America, they still use it. Yo, that was fresh, yo. <laughs> We're not using that no more. We saying words like, oh, that was lit. That was litty. Blah blah blah. So the slang to keep. The slang abreast of your slang and how you talking to your people. Slang is very important. It's a it's a tribal language. So and, and it'll tell where you're from. Your slang is everything. Slang is everything. Right. And that's the unique thing about hip hop where you can go into certain regions of the country. We say the same thing, but it's different meanings. And it brings me back to my home. My home state of North Carolina, and how I'm glad to see my home state get shine. You know, with Little Brother, the Baby, Rhapsody, you know, every Ski B. Yeah. And it feels good to see my home state get recognition. That also up above VA, everything that came out of there with Timberland, Missy, the Neptune. Yeah, man. North Carolina getting the shine on right now. Right now, North Carolina, uh, VA got the uh, uh, J Cole, like and. People didn't really know that uh, North Carolina has a, a also has a pro-black base artist that's that know what time it is out here and they and they on it, but then it it get over it get overshadowed by the negative and the gang stuff. You get what I'm saying? Mm. And that's what they're right now. Today's music is based on the agenda music. 
Based on you know, I definitely agree. So tell me about the current projects that you got coming. What can people look forward to? Um, you right now I got uh, Breathing Fire out right now is on all digital platforms. Um, five joints on a label called EDP. Um, since I'm a free agent, I do I do uh, EPs with different labels if it makes sense. But um, I have my own workhorse music group, and I'm dropping Breathing Fire Part Two. Uh, Maybe the end of this month or early February, first quarter. Um, I'm also have out right now. I have three joints on Smoking Mirrors. That's another uh, label um, called uh, uh, Low Key Music Group. Um, we did a single. I did the third single. I did the second and third single for Smoking Mirrors. Um, that'll be releasing the end of this month on all platforms um, on Low Key Music Group. I'm also on uh, 2019. I'm on. Um, I'm doing something with the Snow Goons and from Germany, and um, I'm just looking to collaborate and work with the artists that I would like to work with. Because last year was, I came up in a pandemic, but everybody was closed. Everything was closed, and it made a lot of sense, but I got a lot of writing done. So I'm just going to get those collaborations off and um, hopefully drop a, a ton, a ton of more music out. I, w I was supposed to drop in a pandemic. Everything was like, oh, is we in a pandemic? What are we going to do? Look, just keep dropping the music because people want to see you working and people want to hear good music. And um, I'm not in a box. I like I, I do. A, I did an album before this called Second Wind. I dropped that 2012, 13 on the, on my independent workhorse label. Um, I didn't put that on. I, I went straight out the trunk with that. I didn't even get on digital platforms with it because I just wanted to see who was on the underground that was really checking for me. So I might re-release that to the digital platforms and put out my breathing fire, put out a league of shadow, put out like three projects this year and hopefully go overseas and um, get some shows in once it open up and everything else. Okay. And speaking of digital platforms, I feel that the copyright laws have to change because as we see with streaming and the royalty rates that artists and the holders of those records are not getting paid royally for their work because the numbers are not being disclosed to the writers and producers of records between the labels and the streaming companies. So I feel that something has to change to make sure that the artists can be rightfully compensated because as we know with the history of the music industry, contracts never are in the artist's favor. And then we go back and look at the independent route that Hammer, too short e40 was doing in the 80s how they were popping it out the trunk selling themselves they were able to come yeah. in numbers because hey i moved these units by myself without a major master p i'm selling by myself i'm gonna tell you priority i want 80 percent and you get 20. see that's all business but if you look at it that's the american way because if you if you really start going into depth, how many black owned labels are they on mainstream? 
mainstream big labels worth billions, billions. Music, we've been having hip hop now for 20 years. How many labels besides the Jay-Z and the Jay Prince? Take those two out. Or take three out. Three guys, Master P, Jay Prince, and Jay-Z. You take those guys away from hip hop. Who do we have? Will we consider Loot Records to be black owned? I mean, black billionaire record companies that's putting out music like that. That's owning your shit. That they own it and they putting out music. You got Jay Z, you got Master P, and you got Jay Prince. Mm -hmm. That's it. Three out of all this, all this music we got, we got three. We probably got more, but where are they? Who are they? And what are they? What have they put out? And it's like, we could have a lot more, but my whole point to say this is to say that, okay, not to get into a racial thing, but who owns our music? The majority of the music, what race of people? Mm, that's food for thought, people. Think about who owns the music and- Who owns the music? So music is a trillion dollar, uh, it's a trillion dollar, uh, to call that, when you when uh when you're selling outside of the United States, export, mm -hmm. export business, music makes money outside of the United States. It's making money, so it's an export. You know what I mean? We, but they we don't own it. We need to own. We gotta own more of our music. We have to own. And independent companies is coming up, and we getting it. We got it. Because now America is starting to turn. If you're looking at it, uh, we got to get sharp quicker. But even uh, the positive people that have music, that have platforms, why are they not putting out good music? You know, that's, for instance, not that, why don't the Nation of Islam have a label? That's just a question. That's just a thought. If you want, if you want to put out positive music that influence the people, why you don't own a label and a distribution? If you know that's influencing the people, that's like you know a saw gonna cut the wood. Why you won't give it a saw? You see, so it's like if you if you want change, then you can't say rap is a fad and we gotta come over here. No, you go with yo the Jews. They got everything but they also invest in black music and own it jimmy Iveen owns interscope you know what i mean but it, we, we need people like tyler prairies we need more tyler prairies like how, look how many look how many actors that don't have their own you see what i'm saying and then tyler prairie comes along make movies makes the sacrifices and does moves hollywood to Atlanta for us you gotta remember for us cause he's putting out good content yeah people like oh he, he dressed like a girl da 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 he's employing how many black folks and, and, and sitcoms and how many people is eating off of Tyler Prairie's moves right it's the same thing in the music you, you get Puff Daddy you got Puff Daddies, you got you got you got uh, all these big names 
but how much music is coming out of that and how much it, how much of it if it's influenced if it's influential you know, when 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 puff had biggie and 112 and all of that he was popping it's now who he got now and why he's not popping he's making more money with Sir Rock, he's making more money and it don't have nothing to do with music. So it has to be reinvested into the music so we can influence the people for to what? You trying to influence the people to be owners. So we need to do we need a super uh distribution. Kind of like what you look on the internet, how Murder Inc. was gonna come together with Jay Prince and Suge, and it was gonna start a distribution, but then all of a sudden. All of them, the, the, the feds came down on all of them and disrupted that, you know, and how come? Now you got to look at that. They had people pointing fingers, but I'm not going to mention that on this, right. but you know what I'm saying? If um, you know, you, you, know, you, know, at, you know, you know, you know, you know, you don't. But when you, when you're looking at it and you're studying hip hop, you're like, wow, man. And I was telling that I had a family member that's part of the nation of Islam. I said, if y'all want to submit, if you so mad about the hip hop that they putting out, how come the Jews, the Jews is putting out all this gangster rap, blah, blah, blah. So if you want to counter that, then the Muslims got to put out some positive. You got to put out a counter. So you don't want to spend the money with your own. But here it is. Jews got money and they'll, Spin it because the agenda, because they know it's going to turn the kids. So they're going to invest in it so they can stay on top. So my whole thing is do what they do. It ain't hard. If you got five, if you got five million dollars, you can start a label or start something and sign good and police it and sign good artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me what Prince was doing about owning everything, doing for yourself and being self-contained. So 2021 and forward people, ownership is key. Know the business, know contracts, and know your worth and your value. Definitely, definitely. You gotta know your stuff. Uh, uh, when a contract comes to me, I gotta go to a lawyer because they're, they're in, we're in for, you don't know those wording. You sit down with, and you have to pay somebody to look over your contracts. That's uh, that's an entertainment lawyer. It when you cut corners, you cut you shoot yourself in the foot. Mm. Cutting corners, shoot yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? Because it's not gonna in the long run. Cutting corners is not helping you. Cutting corners is like trying to get it easy because you just want the bag. But if you want the problem, if you somebody just give you the answer. You don't have the formula to get the to get the answer. They just giving you the answer. You want the formula. The formula is more value is more valuable than the answer. Right. So look at the upfront money as short term and the back end of royalties as your long term. Because I was looking at a DJ Vlad interview with Jason Weaver. He was saying how when he was going to do the Lion King and when he got the contract from Disney, they were going to give him money up front. But mom was like, uh, we're not taking the upfront money. We're going to eat off the back end. And he's eating off the back end with the residuals. We, we, you set your, and that's the whole thing. When you set your contract up, they're going to win. They're going to throw money in you in the front because they want, they know the money. Any invested money is worth more later on than it is now. 
publishing, all of that. So when uh, when when Puffy brought Biggie Smalls publishing, it's like you start looking. That's funny. That's a funny move. When you start trying to buy somebody else's publishing, that's funny because that's long term, you know. And then you're looking at it like, wait a minute, why would you want my publishing? And, and you know what I mean, or a percentage of my publishing or some shit like that. And some artists they want you to use their publishing through them. So it's all all that snake movement, and people try to snake you. And sometimes you got to get snake to understand. You know what I mean? Um, the way to go. So you can't fool a man twice. A, a wise man can't get fooled twice or make the same mistake twice because he hasn't learned the lesson. It's lessons in every move you make. Um, right now. <clears throat> I learned lessons. I have learned lessons and still learning lessons. But my thing is to stay positive and move forward. I smoke L's and I and I and I and I take L's to learn lessons. L's are not actually losses, but if you train your positive thinking, a loss is not a loss, it's a learning experience. You don't you don't lose, you learn. For the next time, you know what I mean. And I think, That's what, yeah, and I think that is a positive note, and we're gonna end on that. So, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview, and also plug your social media? Uh, first of all, I like to shout out. No, you know what I'm saying, and and the platform. Um, y'all covered what was the uh, y'all cover the album cover behind, behind the album, album cover, behind the album cover. Uh, it's dope. It's a dope title. Uh, I love the fact that you know what I mean. You're pushing for the culture, and you're getting behind the um behind the artist and behind the album and seeing how that generate. That's a great dope idea. Uh, my hats off to you and continue. If anything, I can help you with or get more artists do your thing. You know, we got each other's numbers. Let's tighten it up for 2021. I got a lot of stuff coming. Shout out to Workhorse and my whole staff. Uh, Zeke62, Al Science, and uh, my family. Peace to Low Key, Music Group, Kareem Rasul, my manager. Um, we're just going to continue to hit y'all and continue to bring you uh, influential music and dope music. You know, and we're going to leave it like that. And um, prepare yourself because I'm coming. It's going to be a takeover. You can catch this interview on all streaming platforms, Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts, and on the YouTube channel of the same name. Be sure to join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover for all show updates and you catch up on previous episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Mr. Nocturnal on Beyond the Album Cover. Salute to you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hit me at Nicky Not. And uh, IG is Niggy Not. Uh, is Yasser Muhammad on uh, Facebook? There it is.